Network interface is enabled. Bold, bold. Basement Podcast for March 2013. I'm your host, Carlos. With me is your host, Ben, and we've got a ton to talk about today in a very little bit of time. How are you doing, BJ? I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's, uh, I think it was early February when we, we got to get together last. Uh, lots has happened since then. I want to say first uh, a happy online belated birthday to my lovely wife, Holly. So happy, happy birthday, Holly, whose uh, birthday was early this month. That's right. Uh, I, we had a, a, a sort of a D&D party for her, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We did a marathon Pathfinder uh, exercise, which was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself. It was, um, and uh, we did uh, three back-to-back modules, got ourselves from level one to level two in one night. Yep. <laughs> and uh, overall, it, it was a lot of good fun. We've been having a ton of fun with Pathfinder in general. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing the uh, weekly. Uh, game in public, uh, which has been, which has been really interesting. Uh, I've, uh, we, we've had, we've certainly met some interesting people along the ways, had some, uh, interesting things happen to us, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been fun, and we're actually gonna be going to a convention, uh, next week. I do wanna take a moment to give a good shout out to the people at Mothership who host the, uh, the Pathfinder Society, uh, days for us on Thursday. They are very good hosts, and so I just wanna give a small shout out to them. I think they're a great place to play at. Yep, Mothership Games. Uh, it's it's pretty neat. You can go there and and uh, rent computers basically to play uh, MMOs or League of Legends is what's there at the same time as Pathfinder. And they also sell video games. They sell uh, board games. They sell RPG stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, and they've been really great about letting us use the space. So. And we got Chimericon coming up in San Antonio. We're gonna be camping in an RV together and uh, being just all around general nerds. That's, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah. So uh, that we're looking forward to that. We're, we're signed up. Uh, you're signed up to GM a bunch, but I'm signed up to play a bunch of games. Yes. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I think we might be we might get our character slightly off, except uh, level level wise. But I think you know the way that the rules are set up, that shouldn't be too much of a problem. But yeah, it'll it'll be fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to GMing over there. I've had a, I've been GMing a lot recently for the group, and and I've been really enjoying it. So. Yes. There we we found out that the guy who GMs for us normally a very nice guy. Um, it's. He, he's, he's a very nice guy, and, and the reason I, I, I enjoy gaming with him is because he's not out to kill us, so he won't um, he won't try to wipe the party or anything like that. But we found out that he does kind of fudge things a little, a little bit to make things more difficult. Yes. And and the problem that we found with that is that we end up playing to like almost twelve sometimes, and that's a little bit late for some of us who have early morning jobs. Right, and you know there are a few issues with doing that, and that if when you're playing this kind of uh, shared world game, uh, this organized play type game, if if they're trying to do things specifically to challenging you, to challenge you and change the module, you'll end up using resources and stuff that you might not have used otherwise, and that can kind of affect things later on as well. And so, and from what we understand, the rules specifically state that while you can change the flavor, you can't actually change the mechanics of the encounters. That's correct. So, yeah. Um, so. In today's subjects, I got a lot of different stuff to talk about. Let's, I wanted to start out a little bit mentioning something about comic books. Uh, first, I wanted to say, BJ, I mentioned this when we saw last, but totally, totally called it, totally psychic. Uh, in our Mutants and Masterminds game, one of the very first things BJ did was kill off Damian Wayne, the new Robin. 
I, I did so because I've never actually been a fan of the Damian Wayne character through Batman Incorporated and the whole, like, you know, fight for the cow and all that good stuff. I've always found Damian Wayne to be sort of a, a very annoying character, you know, a, an entitled little shit, to, for lack of a better word, that doesn't bring a lot to the series. Well, apparently uh, DC uh, agrees with you because recently they killed off Damian. And and I, I have to agree with them. I think it was a good move. I think he was a bad Robin. Uh, they'll probably bring him back at some point. Like the, 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 They always said that the two people who had stayed dead um, were uh, uh, Jason Todd and Bucky, and both mm-hmm. of those guys came back. Yeah, that's right. So, so Shocking. Um, another comic story that came up recently that I wanted to mention is not actually about a current comic, but you know, back in the day, a guy by the name of Dr. Frederick Wortham, uh, this was in the 1950s, came out with a book called Seduction of the Innocent, which was all about how comic books were corrupting the minds of young readers and promoted evil and promoted homosexuality and all this other kinds of stuff. And recently, a study came out that went and looked at his archives. Uh, they, and they found out that basically he made up a lot to quote, he manipulated, overstated, compromised, and fabricated evidence. And so basically due largely to the efforts of this guy who created this, this moral panic surrounding comic books, it, it led to the censorship of comics for a few decades and, uh, created the comics code authority. If you remember that from way back in the day, that was all a result of this. So, um, you see this kind of moral, one of the reasons that it's relevant today is you see this kind of moral panic still come up where people will create this, this, uh, oh, you know, D and D is evil and satanic or, you know, video games are terrible and will hurt the children and stuff like that. And a lot of times, uh, it's not really based on decent research. It, it's based on this kind of fear or, or moral panic creation. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I think we've always kind of known that, though, haven't we? To a certain degree, we, we've known it from a peripheral standpoint. You know, this is just, I think, adding fuel to the fire of what we already knew. Yes, except this is the first time we have evidence that he did, that this person specifically exactly. directly directly made stuff up, which uh, was kind of interesting. And it's very relevant to the conversation in total, right? You know, because uh, these things come under fire constantly, both in the media, you know, comic books and video games and all this stuff. You know, we're talking about, you know, corruption of children and stuff like that. One of the things that that we need to take into account is that uh, these, these forms of media are not just consumed by kids. In fact, comic books and video games uh, are played by a huge chunk of the majority of adults now, right? You know, people like you and I who maybe played games when we were younger and now we're in our, you know, mid-30s and we still like playing video games, right? Sure. sure. Right? And so we can't just, you know, it's just like they're not going to get rid of all R-rated movies. Did you ever see that study that they did about the um, the accessibility of children to, to media content and they were checking to see what was easier for kids to do, get like a, a an adult-rated video game or get into an R-rated movie? Yes. And yeah. they, they found out that it was much easier for kids to get into an R-rated movie than it was to get a, a, an adult-rated game. Although today, I just saw a new article that said children are actually also really having a really hard time getting into R-rated movies, which is kind of funny. Uh, but no, it, this, this, it's a moral panic. It's not a real problem. You know, children aren't really having, aren't getting access to this stuff, and there's really not very much evidence that access to this stuff does anything anyway. So yeah, I thought that was, that was quite fascinating. Don't we have better things to worry about, like the, the debt? I guess, yeah, economics, I, I don't know. It just seems, stuff like this always boggles my mind, because I'm always like, don't we have better things to worry about? Yeah, we, we do a little bit. Um, 
video games. So I wanted to mention a couple of video game stuff. Uh, one is uh, you played SimCity, right? Mm-hmm. I did not get a chance to play the new SimCity, but I've been reading all about the uh, the kind of disastrous launch that came around with SimCity. I was kind of curious what your take on that was. Um, I will use a, a phrase that I reserve uh, for for specific occasions like this. I would consider it a fiasco. Mm-hmm. In that, I understood that they were trying to do make sort of an immersive quasi multiplayer experience, right? Because you don't actually ever play with people mm-hmm. in the sense of like an MMO or like even an RTS, right? A real time strategy uh, where you're playing together against a computer opponent. You're literally just neighbor cities, and you sometimes see like your neighbor city's um, population come into your city, maybe for work or to sightsee or something like that, and then maybe you and your neighbor might work on a grand project together, but you don't ever actually do anything with your neighbor, right? And so we kind of had that experience with our group of friends, uh, Matt, Scott, JJ, and, and us. We've, we've been playing SimCity. But because they wanted to create this weird, they call it immersive multiplayer, but I don't consider this an immersive multiplayer but they wanted to create this multiplayer experience. Everything is it logs, you know, requires the EA servers, and they just were not ready for the volume, right? I consider this a lack of proper testing on their side. You talk to any MMO expert, and when they, one of the things that they do is a stress test. They figure out what the interest is. They do an open stress beta test, so they get an idea of who wants to play, right? And they just let them hammer the server so they go, you know, they get an idea of what the population is going to be like and, and make adjustments that they need. And we see this happen before. Log on servers, authentication servers, they need to, to increase the number of capacity for their, their authentication servers and stuff like that. EA didn't do any testing like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it, we, it crashed servers to where it, you would have, you know, hour long log on times for even if you were playing single player, right? Right. Right. And that's a problem. Right. That's horrible. And, you know, lots of other things happen like that. One of the reasons they said they did the initially that they said they were requiring online access was because in order for the complex computation to go, you needed to be running on their server because your local computers couldn't handle it. And that was pretty much immediately proven to be false when people figured out how to play offline. Uh, And, uh, yeah, so their reasoning, they lied about their reasoning. I mean, what eventually what they said is it was mainly an anti-piracy kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that happened. They, they, they screwed up the launch. They screwed up the European launch, which happened after the regular launch. They, uh, they, they refused to give refunds if you bought it from Origin, although other places did give refunds. Uh, they ended up giving a free PC game to people who bought before a certain date. But yeah, all in all, it was a really, like, it, 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 several articles that came out because of the SimCity launch about the worst launches of all time, uh, but because of this, just how bad of a launch it was. Uh, Electronic Arts, the, the, the producers of the game, um, they really suffer for it. The CEO resigned right after. Um, people are wondering whether it was directly related since no one stated anything, but a lot of people are kind of assuming that it was. Um, but yeah. I have a hard time believing. I mean, it, it was a bad launch, but people still play it. I have a hard time believing that something like this would cause the CEO to resign. Uh, you should, yeah, search. Yeah, um, there are some other reasons that they could have, but that is, it, it, it is the... Some people think that it is the straw that broke the camel's back with the stuff that's been going on for with EA for a while. Well, EA's been a joke in the gaming blogosphere for the forever. They they're they're considered the ruiners of, of franchises, right? Yes. 
Uh, I remember when EA bought out BioWare and people wept, mm-hmm. right? Because the the consideration was that EA was going to ruin it. And, and let's be frank, Carlos, BioWare hasn't been doing good. It, it certainly it has not been doing like the games are nowhere near as legendary and innovative as they were uh, prior to the EA takeover. The Star yeah. Wars launch, the Star Wars MMO, didn't do well. Mm-hmm. We've already had the Mass Effect three conversation. You know my feelings on that. Yep. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, PAX East was just going on, and various things were uh, mentioned at PAX East. Uh, in the MMO realm, there were a couple of MMOs that I think seemed pretty interesting. Uh, one of them you were pointing to in chat, which was Wildstar. I gotta say, here's the thing: I th- there's a lot of attention on Elder Scrolls Online for good reason because it looks yes. good. But when I saw what they're doing with Wildstar. I was just flabbergasted. I know that's kind of a weird word to use, but it looks like they're doing really amazing things with Wildstar. I agree, and it's it, it's a very it is a very stylized game. Like it's kind of cartoony in some ways, but I think it really works for it. And the uh, the classes are really interesting. The story is very interesting. The aliens are very interesting. It's got housing. It's got it's got cute stuff. It's got violent stuff. I mean, it's it's all over the place. I mean, it's one that I think even Holly, who is really hard to please with these kinds of games, might actually like the way that this one looks. We may get our first successful science fiction MMO. Right. And, and one of the things that I've been saying, especially looking at Wildstar, is, <clears throat> of course, one of the big MMOs that came and, and failed spectacularly was Tabula Rasa by Richard Garriott. Yeah. And, and Tabula Rasa, its initial designs were also like this. They were very stylized and, and kind of, in some ways, some people might say cartoony and whatever, but they scrapped that a year before launch and we decided to go with this kind of hyper-realistic and, frankly, ugly character design and world design. And that was just a bad idea all around. It just did not work. And when the launch came out, I mean, they had they also had a, speaking of disastrous launch, disastrous launch, and, uh, and really the game didn't get good, I think, until right before it closed. I started playing Tabula Rasa maybe a month or two before it ended, uh, or right after the beta at least. And, uh, and actually the game was quite fun by then. Except nobody played, and it, and you know it just tanked. I think if they'd stayed with their original character designs, their original art styles, uh, which Wildstar really reminded me of in a lot of ways, I think they would have had a much better time. What what I find really interesting about Wildstar, so many of these games focus really hard on the first thirty levels. Yeah. Right. So they focus on on having you know really tight questing, and and that's where you kind of get this false sense of epic. You know, to to these games, because the first thirty levels feel really tight, really good, and then you start getting more towards end game content, and that's where you start to see things fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. And it, from the impression I got from Wildstar is, while they are concerned about early game, they're putting a lot of thought into what do you do after you get max level, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to. You have to. Yeah. So, housing launching. Right. Yes. A lot of MMOs have been kind of scared to launch with housing. Right. You you don't see it that often. It used to be a big thing, but but the MMOs don't kind of do it that much anymore. Right. Yep. Star Wars kind of did it because your house was your 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 starship, but you couldn't really customize it. Right. right. 
the houses for Wildstar fully customizable. Like you can like the amount of stuff you can do with your house. You can change the tiling of the floor. You can make it wood, tiled stone. You can you know put like little ornaments all over the place. You can change your yard. It, the amount of customization that you have. You can change the size of things and what have you. It's 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 crazy the amount of customization you have. Right. Yeah. Housing is crazy. Uh, I really like that they have different ways to level. Like, different ways to advance. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yes, so that's another, like, amazing idea that I think a lot of that other MMOs <laughs> are going to steal, right? Because uh, Wildstar is is acknowledging the fact that there are different styles of players. And, and while every game tries to put, like, little stuff in, they all kind of go to the same method, whereas Wildstar is saying, you know what, from level one, we're tailoring the experience of your style of gameplay, right? Right, right. So they have different paths that you can use to level up. One of them is, you know, you go there, you do your quest, you fight, you kill things, you get new weapons, etc., etc. That's called the soldier path. But they also have the explorer path, where you go and, you know, you try to get to the top of the mountain, and you try to discover the ancient artifacts, and you try to go and do that. And all of those quests, your quests will be largely revoid, uh, related to exploring things. They have one that's the scientist, where you, uh, which they haven't completely flushed that out yet, but you can, you know, your quest will be related to digging into the mysteries of planets and unique abilities and relics. Crafting and stuff like that. And crafting, it. exactly. Yeah. And then they have one that's called the settler, which... Uh, it's supposed to be going in and suddenly stuff, and it's supposed to be a lot more social in some ways, although they haven't uh, released a lot about that. But yeah, I think having those different paths to level up is is just brilliant. Yeah, and and so and, and you choose at level one, you choose your class and your path. So you play you know a specific character class that you're gonna level up, but your class also tailors the experience to that class. So that means. Two people could be playing the same class but have completely different experiences with the game. That's right. And they have they've announced four classes so far, which are sound fun. So there's the warrior, which is the standard, you know, sword and shield and, and or cannons or whatever you get. There's the spell slinger, which I think you said or someone said reminded them of Cowboy Bebop, and it really does. The way no, that it no, looks no, out. No. It it reminded me of um Outlaw Star. Same, yeah, Outlaw Star. Yeah, I, 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 I relate the two stylistically in some ways. Yeah. So, yeah, Outlaw Star, Spellslinger, carries around pistols, does some magic stuff. It's very cool. There's the Stalker, which is kind of the psychic assassin type person. And then there's the Esper, you know, the classic psychic weapon person. So, yeah, all those seem really cool so far. Yeah. So And, and here's the thing. We haven't really seen... Like the 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 fighter, the warrior kind of look. Uh, they haven't outright stated he's a tank, so we haven't really seen anything about the Holy Trinity yet. We've seen a little bit in that they they'll say like uh, so. For example, the Esper is supposed to be DPS and healing or something like that, mm-hmm. and and the the warrior is supposed to be DPS and tanking. So I, we're not sure how they're going to implement that yet. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And but like the spell slinger also is DPS and healing. So it's it, it'll be it'll be very very interesting. Yeah. So, so I gotta admit, that's the one that really, from from all the PAX info, I, I was really taken by the whole Wildstar thing because I've I've heard about it and I've seen like stuff about it, but this is the first time we've really gotten really good information about it, and right. it's piquing my interest. Yeah, same, same here. So seeing the PAX coverage of it has made it seem really interesting, and seeing the art styles and stuff, I think I think it's gonna be it's gonna be one to watch. Yeah. One of the games that we did get to try was the. Uh, the third week closed beta of Neverwinter. Yes, and that's one that I found kind of surprising. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's based off of the D&D 4th edition rules, which I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. 
And it's set in the Neverwinter uh, storyline after the Spell Plague, after the fall of Neverwinter. So the king's gone and, and the crown is, is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. The fourth edition actually launched. This is you and I've had this conversation before, probably even on the podcast, where we're kind of flat. We were kind of surprised that Wizards of the Coast didn't expand on that story or do like an adventure path because it sounded like they were setting up some kind of epic adventure. Right, right. They even set up these big display units at the uh, the RPG stores. You know, they never went to you know vie for the crown. And so I don't know about you, but I thought that they were going to release some kind of this epic adventure about you know claiming the crown of Neverwinter to win. Maybe maybe even the characters could become the king of of Neverwinter or something like that. Exactly right. Exactly what they should have done. And but they didn't. You you had basically like a handful of these like filler modules that didn't really do anything. Right. And, and honestly, the story kind of fell flat. And it feels like these game developers are taking that and running with it. Yes, and I think yeah, I think it works really well. I I played uh, all the different classes at some point this weekend, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the 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 gameplay was fun. It's going to be a free to play game, which I think is interesting. It's done by Cryptic Studios, and uh, they you know they've done a lot of MMOs uh, in their various incarnations, and I think they've really learned a lot from their earlier experience uh, doing MMOs. Here's one of the interesting things um, from our experience. I got up to like level twenty four, twenty five. Right, I got up to level twenty one. Uh, did you ever have a get ten bear asses quest? Nope. That's what floored me about it. Every quest you do is plot relevant. There's no, like, okay, we need to warm you up to this new zone. Uh, talk to me, and I need ten reindeer antlers. All right, well, I need ten, you know, hooves or something like that. None of that. Every quest you do involves a dungeon of some sort, you know, mostly, but it's 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 sort of these indoor areas. Lots of traps. You, yes. re- you really have to be aware of your surroundings, right? Because enemies will do these area effect things. They'll they'll give you warning. There'll be signs on the floor, but you really can't just run up to the dude and auto attack him to death. No, because you could run into a trap and die. Yep, yep. There are puzzles in the game. Yeah. That kind of like there was a. I, I was playing a dungeon where there was a pool full of poison water with a chest in the middle, and I needed. Yep. <laughs> I needed to do a whole bunch of levers to figure it out. Yeah, because I started out jumping in the pool. I was like, oh, that was not a good idea. Yeah, that well, <laughs> see, my because I knew the pool the pool was poisoned, and and so I started messing with the levers, and I couldn't figure it out immediately, and I was sort of like, well, you know, I, I'm a fighter. I'm That's, a. I, I I got a whole bunch of hit points. Fuck it. Yeah, so I thought I'm a cleric. I can heal myself through that. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, it was a really bad idea. <laughs> yep, and I did the same thing. I went out and, and tried to solve that. You know, the, the spell plague plays a huge part in the storyline, mm-hmm. right? So you get to really see sort of the visceral effects of the spell plague that they've had on the Forgotten Realms. Here's what I'm going to say. The the game was a lot of fun. I, I don't think it's going to be like a WoW killer, killer or anything like that. I think it's going to be good for, you know, six months maybe, something like that. We'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be a fun time. Uh, my, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't launch a little stronger in the 4E mechanics because they, they seem to be launching with the safe options, right? The safe options that every game has, a.k.a. the fighter, the cleric, the wizard. And I get it. Those are iconic to D&D, but those are in every game. With the, If you're using the 4E system, you, they have the chance to do something really special. If I was them... And I needed to launch with these with the, these standard characters. I would have launched with like the sword mage, the warlord, right? 
the the invoker, right? Get different the different types in there to really mix it up. We shall see. I, I'm. I think what's going to make there's a, a few things that are going to make the break the game. One of them is going to be uh, how they do in their expanding. Like uh, who, how, what races are they going to add? What classes are they going to add as they go through? One is going to be in game. Uh, some people have gotten to in game, and we actually do have on the beta forums uh, quite a bit of people talking about that. Uh, but one of the other things that I think that they took from their experience in Star Trek is the foundry, which is you can go and create your own missions for people to play and run through, which I think is, in Star Trek, actually, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was brilliant, and I think uh, that has the potential to be very interesting in this game. Yeah, they're actually launching with full player content support, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And they've proven in the past that players can generate content a lot faster than they can. And some pretty good content. And again, they did that in, in both Star Trek and in City of Heroes, right, yes. eventually. So yeah, I think, I think it's very good in that they've learned from those experiences and hopefully something really interesting will come out of this. Um, did you get to do any, uh, five mans? I did one five man. I did a couple. It was, uh, it was interesting. What did you think of it? Chaos. <laughs> Utter fucking chaos. And, and here's the weird thing. It was a five-man group of people who'd never, seen, you know, met each other, and all they did was bitch and complain, like, "Oh, the the cleric is drawing too much aggro. Oh, the fighter needs to be able to pull more aggro." But the weird thing was, nobody died. Really? So that's that. Yeah, then there shouldn't have been a lot of complaining. Yeah. So when I when I when I played, it was I'm not sure how the the matching works out, but I'm not sure if we had a fighter. We definitely had three uh, or two or three great weapon fighters. We had a rogue. And we had a cleric. So I'm not sure we had a defender at all. I, I assume that we did. But if so, there was a problem in the third week beta, which you didn't see in the second week beta. And that is they accidentally made cleric aggro way too high. Yeah. And they've, they have admitted and said that that was, that was a mistake. They, they fixed that in the current build. Uh, but, yeah. So if you were a cleric, which I was, and it doesn't matter what you did. If you did anything that did healing everybody was going to come after you. Yeah. So so I died actually three times. I wow. didn't let anyone else die. <coughs> but I died and and you know, I walked into that dungeon with 40 potions thinking that'll be fine. I left with four. <laughs> oh wow. And you know, at the end they have those um those those stat stat meters and yeah, I took the most damage by like a factor of 4 out of anybody in the group, which was just fascinating. So, yeah, that, that could have been least of the work. It was still fun. Actually, I still really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was, that was a rough. And, uh, I tried PvP. Did you get a chance to try PvP? No, I didn't get to try any PvP. PvP was a lot of fun. Um, I played a, uh, kind of capture the flag game. And again, I was the cleric and, uh, luckily, uh, the other team wasn't smart and didn't target the cleric. So I just healed up all my guys and we just dominated. It was, it was actually, but it was, it was still difficult. I mean, controller wizards are brutal. Uh, you know, rogues would sneak up on people and backstab. I mean, it was, it was, it was fun and interesting. Um, I, I read that they only have two maps right now, but they should have more shortly. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was, I, I really liked Neverwinter. I was not expecting to like it. Um, I mean, I've liked the kind of stuff that some of the stuff Cryptic's done. I love City of Heroes. I like Star Trek Online quite a bit. Not such a big fan of Champions. Um, you know, different different kinds of stuff. But I I liked this a lot more than I expected to. Uh, so 
Yeah, looking... I, I think they were very off the mark with Champions. Yeah, yeah. I think Star Trek launched um, rough, but it's really shaped up to be a lot better nowadays. Uh, yeah, I agree. So uh, I, I still play Star Trek nowadays. And they're just releasing their first expansion. Are they? Yep, the Romulans. The Romulan expansion is just about to be released. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So I, I think if, if you haven't played, if you played Star Trek, like when it first launched and you were a little sat- dissatisfied with it, play it now. It's a lot better now. Yeah. And and so I, I think Cryptic has a very good model for their freemium. But it, when you play it, you'll notice that there's maybe some quality of life things missing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I really noticed from a quality of life perspective was your bank slots are minuscule. Yeah. You don't have very many bank slots at all, right? But the point is is that it's a freemium model, meaning that you get the base content, and then the quality of life things maybe cost a little bit of money, right? Right. But they also have mechanics in there to get, like, they, they have those crystals that you can use to, to also, like, buy some quality of life stuff, right? So there's a, a mechanic in there so you don't have to spend money. You just have to spend time. Right, exactly correct. Yeah, and and uh, and Neverwinter is using the same model, where uh, they they have the regular gold currency and they have the rare currency, which is called astral diamonds in Neverwinter, and you can use which is, I think in Star Trek was dilithium if I recall. Yes, and then you can use that to buy the real money stuff, which they call Zen. Um, uh, but yeah, so yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting model if you have the time. And the the patience, and it will take a while to earn enough that you, or you could just buy it right out. So there is, there's, there are some, there's definitely aware of that, and aware that people really hate what they call pay to win, and uh, they're definitely paying attention to that and trying to make sure that the game is not a pay to win game um, for Neverwinter, certainly. Yes, and and so that's that's what you need to be aware of. These are great games; you can try them for free. And I highly suggest it. You never know. You might find something that really hits with you. Like I said, I still play Star Trek Online. I made the um, my, my crew because you run a, a starship and you get like part of your your thing is you get a crew, and I really enjoy like stacking out my crew. So I, I made my character sort of a descendant of Data, and I named mm-hmm. him Hexdecimal. Oh, like reboot. Exactly. And so all of my clones, which are my crew members, look exactly like me. That's funny. So I, I, I copied my model and I applied it to all my crew members and I named them stuff like trinary, binary, qubit, um, petabyte, stuff like that to, uh, to kind of match that, that, that theme I had going. And that's, honestly, that's something I could do with that game. I could not do that with any other game. Yeah, it's fun. No, I, uh, I was, uh, I was a very early player of Star Trek Online and I have a Borg character and a Borg on my ship and all that stuff, which I thought was really interesting. And then, was it this past, was it last year, I guess, they implemented that Pokemon type system with your, with your crew that you could get, which I, I just, I really did get addicted to that for a while. I haven't played it in a bit, but I, I had so much fun with that, with the, you know, you could get your crew and you can send them on missions and you can get new crew members and, and, uh, yeah, so it was, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, I, I've enjoyed Star Trek Online too. Yeah. And I, yeah, I hit max level and all that stuff a while back. Um, go ahead. Any other big news out of PAX? Uh, not that I am aware of. I mean, Blizzard announced a new online card game. Did you see that? Yeah, I have no interest in that though. Yeah, I, I, well, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's, uh, it's called Hearthstone. It's a World of Warcraft online trading card game. But I'm very confused by it because, you know, there is a World of Warcraft trading card game. So I'm kind of wondering why they're doing this. The, some of the stuff that, that Blizzard has been doing is kind of frustrating and confusing me. Like, they're, they're doing a MOBA. Yes, I saw that. And 
I, I don't know. There's already the MOBA field already has a ton of major players. I, I know that the whole MOBA thing really spawned out of the Defense of the Ancients thing for mm-hmm. Warcraft Three. So I think Blizzard feels I don't know entitled to a, a, a piece of that pie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but so they're going to get into the MOBA. I've been playing through the new StarCraft game, and I've been thoroughly underwhelmed by it. Uh, yeah, okay, Heart of the Swarm. Yeah, Heart of the Swarm. I mean, have you been hearing anything about it? Uh, uh, not really, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's very Zerg-centric. I'm not a very... I'm not The the plot that I've gone through thus far, I'm not entirely thrilled about, so I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll give it more time, but all of this is kind of just leading me to, to wondering what's going on over at Blizzard, because I don't see them making good choices right now. Mm-hmm. No, the biggest thing out of PAX East that I've heard so far is uh, Elder Scrolls Online, I think. People have been really happy with what they saw from that there. Yep, I, I heard the same thing. Like I said, most of my attention was was diverted from Elder Scroll Online to uh, Wildstar. Right, because I'm... Uh, because it's, it's a way... I think Elder Scrolls Online isn't coming out soon. No. That's the impression I have, so yeah. When is Wildstar coming out? Was that... I don't know. <laughs> okay. Because I... It can't be too soon, because they, they're still missing two classes and two races. Right. Right. I think one of the races... The the un, one of the unannounced races is going to be sort of an undead race. Because mm-hmm. if you watch one of their trailers they, for the Exiles... One of the arms looks like a diseased rotted arm that raises up and, and you know, support of the exile. So I'm like, okay, I think that might be an undead guy. Um, I, I, I agree that a lot of people seem pretty excited by Elder Scrolls. I think there was some disappointment when they revealed that there's actually going to be classes. Because mm-hmm. for the most part, Elder Scrolls is known for being a classless system. Right. And so the mere fact that they're going to have classes kind of goes against the grain of what the Elder Scrolls games have always been. Right, and it's not like we we actually have games with classless systems, so it's not like that would have been a huge stretch. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, I guess it looks like both of them have uh, undetermined 2013 release dates, but we'll see if that makes or not. Yeah. Well, that's in nine months, so who knows? Yep. Uh, any other video game news? Um, wife is playing through the new Bioshock game, Bio, uh, Bioshock yeah. Infinite. Mm-hmm. And I think she's a little underwhelmed by it. Um, I haven't played through it yet, so I can't comment on it, but she hasn't been... Uh, she's been having fun with it, but it, it's not resonating with her nearly as much as the Bioshock 1 and Bioshock 2 did. It looks gorgeous. I haven't really seen much about it, but it looks great. Oh, yeah. The Bioshock games are always... the. I, I watched her a little bit, and the thing that kind of uh, really floored me a bit is, is on this one, they're really tackling racism. Hmm. Right, and so uh, that's where, to, to kind of spoiler alert, um, you you play Booker, a guy who's who's um, hired to, to go rescue a girl in in the uh, the Sky Palace that is Columbia, and you get up there, and everyone's like, oh, thank the prophet, thank the prophet, and you get a really you know creepy sense, a creepy vibe from these people right from the get go, and you know something's off, but you can't really put your finger on it, right? And so your character's like led around, and so you have this sort of like covert mission you can't tell anyone. And so all of a sudden you get to this place where they're like, sir, we're having a raffle. Do you want to participate in the raffle? And you're like, eh, not really. And they're like, you have to. Come on. And he's like, all right, fine. He's trying to keep a low profile. I'm like, all right, pick a number. And you pick a baseball and it's got a number on it. And you're like, why is the number on the baseball? 
And so they like, all right, we'll draw the number. Number 77. Oh, it's you, sir. And you're like, okay, cool, my baseball. Well, what do I do with it? And they wheel out um, an African-American person. Like, all right, throw it. And you're like, what? And they're like, yeah, get rid of the black disease. And you're sitting there going, okay, you guys are a bunch of racist assholes. <laughs> and that's when, it, that's when it triggers. You're like, yeah, I've seen nothing but white people up here the entire time. Wow. Uh, no, I want. Yeah. Wow. It's got a 96 on Metacritic so far. Um, I'm actually surprised by that. So the they Bioshock games have always kind of been kind of weird in that they are not just about action and beautiful graphics, but they also like have very important social political themes with them. Right, mm-hmm. we saw that in, in very extremely relevant in the first Bioshock. Those those sense of class um, warfare, um, and you know, uh, with the Anne Rand stuff and the Atlas Shrug stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Th- those themes were very heavy, were extremely heavy-handed in uh, in Bioshock One. Not as much in Bioshock Two, but they're still there. Obviously, they're kind of going with that same heavy-handed political ideology in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of switching it up from the social political to uh, race relations and, and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to see it. I mean, I I haven't. I never played part two, uh, but I'd love to see part three so far from what I've seen of it. Uh, let us know how it goes once you get a chance to play it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's see. I don't have any other game news. I had some a couple of Kickstarter things to mention. Well, let's hit some Kickstarter. So some of the uh, very interesting Kickstarter stuff has happened in the last couple of months. One is that In Exile Entertainment, uh, which is made up of a bunch of people who did uh, who did, did the my favorite RPG, uh, Planescape Torment, uh, came out with a Kickstarter. And their Kickstarter, they decided to do what they are calling a sequel to, Tor- to Torment, although it's not a true sequel since they couldn't use uh, the Planescape setting. So they're, but they're making what they call a successor to Torment, uh, which is going to be called Torment Tides of Numenera, using the world and uh, game system that uh, Monty Cook's project, really successful Kickstarter project, used. So uh, one of the reasons that they went the Kickstarter route is because they couldn't get a, a publisher to uh, – do a torment type game, you know. They were told, you know, those we just don't people don't make those anymore, uh, and they were the fastest Kickstarter to get to a million dollars at at uh, at that time. Uh, so yeah, Tor- you can still you can still uh, pledge to it. It's Torment Tides a Numenera. It's got eight days to go. It's at three point one million dollars right now. Uh, one of the next goals is what they get to. I think it's uh, three point two five. Three million and uh, three point two five million. They will, or three point two fifty million, I should say. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss will come up come up as an author as well, which would be interesting. He wrote a really great series, uh, Name of the Wind. So yeah, really successful. Look, I'm very much looking forward to that game. It seems like that first to a million dollars thing is always like that 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 goal that record is always being broken because. And- and that one was broken. Uh, the next, the, I think just a few days later it was broken. Did you see what it was broken by? I think it's Veronica Mars. That's correct. So Veronica Mars, Veronica Mars is one of those things, it's a, it's, it's one of those things that has a very strong cult following. I don't even want to use the word cult because that has like negative imitations, in, in, but there's a very um, strong fan base, right? And they've been begging for a movie, begging for a movie. Studios haven't wanted to touch it, right? So they threw it up on Kickstarter with a very 
conservative two million goal, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're already twice that at four million, yeah. right? So obviously there's uh, a market there, right? Mm-hmm. And and did you see that Joss Whedon had to reply to that? Yes, because people were like, if they could do it for Veronica Mars, they could do it for Firefly. And and he had to be very honest and just say, listen, um, I am fully in bed with Marvel right now, right? There is no hope for me doing a uh, a, uh, a Serenity or Firefly movie right now. And and people kind of were like, well, what about the Shakespeare movie you did? People don't understand that that was just something he did at his house. You have a great write up on it on on the uh, the site. Uh, but that was just a kind of a side project he did, very short amount of time. It wasn't, you know, wasn't very studio involved, right? A little independent project that he can do, but a, a Firefly movie is not going to be a small, little one-off thing. Yes, and I'll mention something a little bit about that in a little bit uh, after we're done talking about Kickstarter stuff. Yeah, so yeah, the, both of them are still open. Torment Tides of Numenera is open for another eight days. Veronica Mars is open for another 16 days. Both of them seem like really interesting. Did you ever watch Veronica Mars? No, I, it's one of those, another one of those things where it's on my to-do list, right? I got to watch The Wire, Breaking Bad. <laughs> You know, Downtown Abbey, the, the the list of stuff I need to watch is, is just getting bigger and bigger every day. It would help if I would just stop watching Big Bang Theory over and over again, but I love that series. So, <laughs> so Veronica Mars, uh, it actually was a really great series. The first uh, the first two seasons were, were excellent. Uh, the, the the third season I was not such a such a fan of. But, uh, but yeah, the first season of Veronica Mars, totally worth watching. I don't know if it's on Netflix or anything. I don't think it is. Uh, but it is very much worth checking out. Uh, you know, it's a pretty old series now. I guess it came out almost 10 years ago at this point. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, pretty revolutionary at the time. Uh, it's, you know, it's a mystery series starring Kristen Bell, uh, who's, who plays a detective. And this movie is going to be taking place 10 years after. I guess the, the third season of the series. So yeah, uh, looking forward to see what coming, coming out of this. And this is, I guess, one of the first times we've seen a, a quote unquote mainstream movie funded by Kickstarter. And in fact, the production company, is it Warner Brothers? I think, uh, isn't going to give them any other money besides what happens in the Kickstarter. So this will be a very, uh, yeah, here we go. Warner Brothers. Um, they, they, uh, this will be a determination if Kickstarter can fund this kind of mainstream type uh, activity. So here's the reality: Kevin Smith was able to make uh, Red State for less than four million, mm-hmm. and and that is is for my for my money that was a mainstream movie, and it was a good movie, right? Mm-hmm. So it can be done, absolutely. Right. So we will we will see. Uh, yeah, for for the money, it can be done. Yeah, uh, we'll see if can it be uh, successful. Well, or right, and and is are the studios going to see Kickstarter as a viable? Uh, a viable kind of funding mechanism is, is another question. That's, that has pros and cons. The, yeah. the reason I, I don't like it is because we're making the population responsible for movies now where the studios already have a lot of money to kick around for this stuff. But the, the reason I like it is because we could start to see movies made that we would never see made otherwise. Right. And now the, the fear, of course, is that, oh, well, they're not going to make those movies unless something like this happens. But yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So there's pros and cons, pros and cons. Yep. Any other Kickstarter things you want to mention? Uh, nothing from Kickstarter from my point of view. So uh, you mentioned, uh, so that was an interesting segue. Yeah, I went to uh, South by Southwest this year, uh, which for people who don't know, South by Southwest is a giant 
giant convention here in Austin, Texas that takes us every year and seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Started out as a music festival, then music and film, then music, film, and interactive, which is kind of technology-based, then music, film, interactive, and now it's going to be ecology, and now there's going to be one in Las Vegas also. So yeah, it's it's this, this giant, giant, giant thing. And I was there mostly to do interactive stuff. I won a badge. Badges are far too expensive for to buy, but um, I, I won a badge to go to, to film and interactive. And one day, I got in line to see uh, um, oh the director of Slumdog Millionaire, I think Danny Boyle, right? And uh, and there was another line forming, and I was like, "What is this other line for?" It's like, "Oh, Joss Whedon's new movie is going to be here." So I actually did get in to see Danny Boyle, and I feel kind of bad, but I left and got in the Joss Whedon line, and uh, got in to see uh, Much Ado About Nothing, and to my surprise, Joss Whedon, Nathan Fillion, Amy Acker, that entire cast just about was there as well, and I got to see the panel with them afterwards, and it was it was, it was was really something else. Uh, I have a write-up at comingoutofthebasement.com if you want to take a look at it, but it was very interesting, and the film is excellent. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing is my favorite Shakespeare play, particularly because of the dialogue between uh, Benedict and Beatrice. And uh, Amy Acker was an amazing Beatrice. I think she she was a, she was just wonderful in this movie, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, the film was made after the Avengers. It was made in 13 days at Joss Whedon's house. Um, who Joss Whedon? This this will probably shock you. Has a really nice house. <gasps> I know it does not, and it helps that his wife is in fact an architect um, and, and designed everything. But yeah, it's it's got it's got people from it's got people from the Avengers and from Firefly and from Dollhouse. You know, all these actors come out in it. His friends, basically. When when you look at the casting list, you're like, this is you, Joss Whedon's one of those guys. When he finds an actor he works well with, he taps that actor over and over again. That's right, and and he was not afraid to do that. Uh, we got some interesting confirmations. Agent Coulson, for, you know, he was there. Greg Clark plays a character in, in, in the movie, and he was there. And uh, Agent Coulson is a, is a part of Shield, and it is actually Agent Coulson, and he is alive. That's all we know. <laughs> but uh, from that from that thing, but yeah, it is true. And they finished the uh, the Shield uh, pilot, so it's they, it's going for review at this point, if if I remember correctly. That's right. But yeah, it was it was great. It was a very good movie. Uh, Nathan Fillion is just like Castle in person, apparently, because that's pretty much the way he acted. One guy stood up in line and he got to the to, to ask questions during the panel at the end, and he got up there and he's like. Well, I, I thought by the time this question is for Nathan Fillion, I thought by the time I got up here, I'd, I'd have a question, but but I don't. So I'm just going to ask you, why are you so awesome? And Nathan Fillion's like, first, you have excellent taste. <laughs> he's like, the way the way to be awesome is to ride awesome coattails, and he points to and he points to Joss Whedon, and uh, and it, yeah, it was it was uh, it was fun. Uh, they were all a lot of fun. The the, the movie would, had a hilarious parts in it, and you know, it's it's yes, it is all Shakespearean dialogue, but it still has the definite Joss Whedon touch to it. So, highly recommend checking that out when it comes out. Did you read that awesome story where someone asked uh, Nathan Fillion what he would do if he won, won the lottery, and the first thing he said is he would make another Firefly movie? <laughs> yes, I did see that. That's a guy who's a, who's good to his fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, he's he's definitely definitely a good guy. Uh, let's see. Anything else you want to talk about? We're coming up on an hour, probably a little bit less than that, but not too much less. And you have what's what we call in the business world a hard stop in about five minutes. Uh, yeah, five. Let's say ten minutes. Okay, so uh, let's see. What else do I got going on here? 
Um, we can't talk. We can't talk about that. We might be able to talk about it later. Um, the uh, the Marvel game. Um, there have there have been some reviews for the Marvel game. I I, I have been looking because uh, you know Marvel, the Marvel MMO is coming out soon, and it's got uh, it's got some some writers that I really like uh, writing for it. A lot of RPG authors actually are writing for Marvel Heroes, some of my favorite ones. But so far, the reviews on it have not been great. Um, I don't know if you ever, you ever there's a website, Rock, uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, uh, what a fun game review website. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, it's and also uh, Kotaku and some other people had a chance to play uh, Marvel Heroes, and so far they have not been impressed. Um, I will certainly say that it is a game. <laughs> so here's the first line of the review. Uh, okay, here's the sorry. Here's the italic uh, poster thing first. Over the last few days, I played through all the available content in the closed beta for Diablo-like MMO Marvel Heroes, and throughout there was one thought in my head: Why did they let journalists look at this now? <laughs> <laughs> and then it starts out: Marvel Heroes in its current beta form is dreadful. <laughs> so, and it goes on, and it's current. It's currently a giant jury mess, a clash of woefully weak combat. Uh, and lackluster delivery, so barren of ideas that I kept wondering if I was doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, looking like it was made in 2002 and playing like it was made in 1986, this ARPG MMO feels like one of those 80s half arse movie tie-in arcade games that would be ported clumsily to home computer. It's like, oh, that's that's harsh, man. I do not disagree with that writing. So, um, you know, they are... They are in beta, you know, they're not released yet, and they keep on pointing out, yes, they're not, they're not released yet, but they announced a release date of June. And that means that they have two months to fix all the problems that, that people have been complaining about. And there's a ton. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot. So, uh, wish them the best of luck. And I hope, and it's gonna be a free to play game also. Uh, I hope that, uh, I hope that they get their act together because so far, like I said, reviews have been pretty harsh. Uh, in, in other quasi related news, I should have gone with the movie section on this one. The Wolverine trailer came out. Oh yeah. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm conflicted. Parts of it look really good. Parts of it look just fucking silly. Mm. Have you seen the trailer? Not yet. So, all right, let's get this out of the way. X Men Origins Wolverine was a fucking disaster, right? There was just parts of that that didn't make any sense. The the part that I always point to was, um, where he's trying to get Gambit, right? And Sabretooth is chasing him, right? And there's a very poorly edited scene where Sabretooth kills the teleporty guy, whatever. Um, and then, uh, he's, he's, you know, Wolverine's messing with Gambit and, like, elbows Gambit in the face to knock him unconscious, right? And then he has a fight with Sabretooth that's going bad for him. All of a sudden, in order to split the fight up, we see Gambit on the roof of one of the buildings running off with his little bow staff doing a helicopter thing. They didn't pr- bother to say, you know, have any scenes that explained, oh, Gambit got up. Gambit got his bow staff. Gambit saw that even though he was having an aggressive conversation with Wolverine, he's not going to help him. He gets up to the roof of this building or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It was just so disconjointed that it didn't make any sense from an editing standpoint. But with that in mind, no matter what it is, Hugh Jackman does an amazing job, right? And, and it's because he's so strong as that character it points out all the deficiencies of all the other characters, right? Liv Shriver, great actor, horrible comparison to Hugh Jackman. Hmm. Because Sabretooth is supposed to be a physically intimidating character, 
And Hugh Jackman's taller than Liv Schreiber, right? And so I felt Liv Schreiber was a very bad pick for, for Sabretooth, right? They needed to pick someone. Like the, in, in the first movie, he, he wasn't a great actor, but he was a wrestler. And when him and, and Wolverine had that fight in the first X-Men movie, he was tossing around all the, over the place, right? Because that guy is like six foot seven or something like that. Right. And so he physically intimidates. You needed to get someone bigger than, than Hugh Jackman to present that real danger, because that's always been the thing, that he's a scrappy guy, but he beats him through, you know, wits and what have you. Right. So, X-Men Origins, you know, that's a long, that's a long way of saying X-Men Origins was a bad movie, um, even though I, I own it, but I, <laughs> I, I also own Green Lantern, so don't hate me. <laughs> um, so, this one, I'm, I'm, I look at it, and, and again, you know, Hugh Jackman looks amazing, in physically amazing shape, and, and he has the attitude and the personality down pat, but because he is so good, everyone else in the trailer and stuff just looks short, or, 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 or they're coming up short by comparison, right? The action looks good, the atmosphere looks good, there's this fight scene though, they, they, they premiere this like fight scene on a train, that's very reminiscent of the fight scene with the helicopter in X-Men Origins, which was just a horrible scene. Mm-hmm. And so s- scenes like that make me scared. I want to see this trailer. <laughs> I'm going to go watch it after this then. Yeah, go watch it, and as soon as you get done, I am me and let me know what you think. Because I know it's like this is a lot of weird pressure to be putting on a, on a trailer, but let's, let's be realistic. Wolverine is like one of the mainstays of the Marvel Universe. He made the X-Men franchise, right? And and just like that, he, the Hugh Jackman portrayal of Wolverine has made the X Men franchise in the movie scene, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's so weird that it, for such a strong actor and strong character to, that he's being portrayed, all the other parts are 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 so weak by comparison, right? Yeah. Uh, do you know? Do we have a release date for that movie? What is it? What is the name of the movie? Even do we know? Um, the, it's called it's, The Wolverine. Yeah, right? it's called The Wolverine, and it's coming out. I think in. Uh, July. July, yes. Yeah. I was going to say June, but I was like, that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's my opposite argument for the Batman movies. The reason I think the Batman movies are so good is because of everything but Batman. Right. I think Batman's the weakest part of the Batman movies, right? I think in the Wolverine movies, the Wolverine character is the strongest thing, and everything else is crap compared. Yeah, we'll take a look. Uh, it's going to be in Japan or something, right? It's, this one is going to be. I saw it has a, certainly has that stylistic poster. It's it. So there's an epic Japan storyline where Wolverine goes over and fights with right. the uh, Yakuza and stuff like that. I, I have that uh, that graphic novel. It's a really good right. one. It's loosely based on that, but right. it's not quite. All right, cool. All right, well, I'll check it out and let you know. Um, so next time, next time, one of the one of the big things I want to talk about, and I and I this is going to be on the agenda, and we are going to talk about it at some point. Is I'm uh, I study copyright, right? That's that's my my academic life is about copyright, and one of the big thing reasons I study copyright is actually related to fandom and related to like fan activities and then kind of the stuff that people geek out over, because everything that fans do. Is related to something. Whether it's a copy, you know, baking fan fiction, going to conventions, making fan art, you know, posting about stuff online, all of that relates to copyright. And two stories came out since the last time we recorded that I think were, were very interesting in the copyright realm. One of them was that, uh, Jonathan Colton, uh, had a song, a version of Baby Got Back, which you can go in and, and watch on YouTube or from his site, uh, that was copied by Glee without attribution. And of course, people got really upset by that. 
not only was it copied, it was blatantly copied. Like, they didn't even bother to change some of the, like, little unique features that he had in the, the, the song. Right, like the, like the name Johnny C. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that was one thing. And then the other thing that happened was related to, uh, Games Workshop. Games Workshop creates for creators of the Warhammer universe, where they tried to get Amazon to take down a book because the book had Space Marine in the title. So, and again, there was a giant backlash, uh, about that as well. So next time, I'm going to talk a little bit about those, about those a bit and why people should give a damn and, you know, kind of talk about the, exactly what's happening with that. And then next time, I'm going to be talking about the importance of running a DMZ in your exchange environment and how to maintain an edge synchronization with your hub transport servers. Uh, I actually really do want to know that. Uh, some things that happened recently that I can't talk about, but uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Is that actually relevant to, to you? I don't know. Uh, All right. So, uh, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. You can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. Uh, yep. You can find us on Twitter at COTV1. And please feel free to email us. Uh, you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. We really appreciate any comments that you guys have. All right. Catch you all later. All right. Bye, guys. Interface disabled. Goodbye.